On Monday, the Judicial Service Commission recommended the exact same candidates they originally put forward in April for appointment as judges to the Constitutional Court. The Council for the Advancement of the SA Constitution challenged the legality, rationality and constitutionality of the JSC's April process and as a result, the High Court ordered a rerun of the April interviews. But despite almost 12 hours of interviews and deliberations, the JSC shortlisted the same candidates as before. I'm Catherine Rice, journalist for News24's Multimedia Department, and this is The Story. This week we'll be taking a closer look at the politicized nature of the judicial selection process. You're listening to The Story. It's a podcast by News24. We'll speak to journalists and experts about the week's biggest story. This is what we saw, heard and uncovered this week. We're talking to specialist legal journalist for News24, Karen Morn. Karen, Kasek challenged the April interviewing process and as a result it was set aside. What were Kasek's concerns at the time? Kasek obtained the deliberations of that, that informed the shortlisting of the five candidates and it emerged during those deliberations that essentially Chief Justice Mokweng Mokweng had come with a pre-written list um, to those deliberations and basically uh, informed the JSC members that these were the people that they should uh, select. And there was very, very little deliberative process, which of course is a very important part of uh, the JSC's functions. They need to be appointing the absolute best candidates for the positions available, and there needs to be robust um, deliberation about the suitability of those candidates. So I think that was a very game-changing aspect um, of that case. But in addition to that, they raised serious concerns, for example, about the treatment of KwaZulu-Natal High Court Judge Daya Pillay, who in her interview was subjected, uh, was subjected to, I would argue, extremely politicized attacks by, among other people, Julius Malema. She also came under fire for uh, finding against Jacob Zuma in the defamation in matter involving um, Derek Hanukom. She was uh, criticized by Malema for including a quote at the beginning of that judgment from certain uh, an ANC speech. She uh, was also chastised for not accepting the former president's sick note when he appeared before her in his corruption case and asking for, a pro- for more proper medical evidence um, and issuing a suspended arrest warrant against him. And she was very, very heavily under fire over her friendship with uh, Pravin Gordon, which the Chief Justice then uh, parlayed off to suggest that Gordon may have asked inappropriate questions about how she had fared during an, uh, an interview for an appeal court position without giving her any prior warning, which is what typically happens in JSC interviews. So. There was also a lot of concern about the way in which Judge uh, Faiza Kathy Setlawane was treated, the way certainly an underlying vein of misogynism, you know, fed into the questioning to her about her temperament. She was asked about a relationship with the clerk who'd made a complaint against her, which had subsequently been resolved and she'd been cleared of any wrongdoing. And of course, the questions to David Unterhalter about his involvement with the Jewish boards of deputies and concerns about the way in which, uh, you know, he had been questioned in regard to that. So the JSC choosing not to defend any of those processes and instead opting to agree to rerun the interviews without conceding, in fact, that the, the actual interview process in April 
people had been irrational and or unlawful. Karen, the second process has produced the same results with the same list of candidates. Can you tell us a bit more about those candidates? I mean, the first thing to say is that a number of the people who made the shortlist were excellent in their interviews. Um, Judge Mahuba uh, Molamela is a former Free State Judge President. She has acted as a prosecutor. She has served at the Supreme Court of Appeal. You know, she has a deep and profound understanding of the kind of uh, prejudices that female, uh, particularly black female legal practitioners face. Uh, she has an incredible work ethic. Um, she came across as very self-possessed, calm and in control during her interview. Um, she was definitely one of the top candidates on that shortlist and I think is probably very likely to be one of the justices that may very well end up on the bench. And then, of course, uh, Judge Ramaka Matopo, who has served as an acting justice at the Constitutional Court, a very calm and deliberative manner. And one of the things that I really enjoyed about him was when he was asked if it was uh, between, you know, there there was this selection process where a female candidate and a male candidate of similar abilities were up for a position. He felt that the job should go to a female candidate. Um, You know, he was very outspoken in in the certain groundbreaking ruling he gave on uh, a gang rape in which that he he found that people who observed what had happened but didn't necessarily directly participate in the rape of women should be held criminally liable for for simply standing by or observing um, the abuse. He obviously is someone who has, uh, you know, a huge level of experience having acted in the SCA, the Supreme Court of Appeal as well. Jody Colopin, of course, is currently serving in the High Court. He has served in the uh, the Constitutional Court most recently, coming under fire from Ace Magashule, the suspended Secretary General of the ANC, facing accusations that when he found that uh, Magashule's uh, suspension was in fact lawful, that he had prejudged that issue. But nonetheless, someone who has a, an impeccable human rights record, speaking very movingly about the fact that, you know, his, his mother was a seamstress, his father, I think, was a waiter, and the, the incredible aspect of being able to, to come from those kind of humble beginnings, and particularly in sort of South Africa's entrenched apartheid past, and be considered um, for shortlisting to, to the Constitutional Court. Judge Faiza uh, Kafri Setlawane, who I mentioned before, of course being subjected to a very problematic interview in the first round. She has clerked at the Constitutional Court. She has acted at the Constitutional Court. She serves at the High Court, I think, in Johannesburg at the moment. Um, very capable um, judge, certainly um, you know, handled her, her interview with relative aplomb. And then, of course, um, just Judge Bashir Valley, who was, I think, arguably the far weakest of all of those candidates who served at the High Court and did not display a massively impressive judicial temperament during his um, interviews. He has given a number of judgments um, that have been overturned on appeal. Certainly he has, you know, he's taken the stance that, you know, he, a lot of his judgments push the boundaries of the law and have a human rights bent to them. And he was quite critical of the Supreme Court in in the instances where it had ruled against him. Karen, earlier this week, you wrote an article about the elephant in the room. Can you tell us about that? 
Advocate Dali and Pawful had said to Advocate um, Alan Dodson that one of the, he faced three ostensible obstacles in being appointed to the Constitutional Court, one of which was that he, that he hadn't acted, but one of which was also that he was a white male. And this, that this, of course, was quote unquote, the elephant in the room. And what, you know, the unfortunate dynamic that emerged during the interviews, um, I think particularly in terms of the inclusion of Bashir Valley in favor of the two white males that applied for the job, was that there was a decided impression created that these two very capable men who have, you know, are regarded internationally as experts in their field uh, were excluded on the basis of their race and gender. We don't know at this point what informed the Judicial Service Commission's deliberations on that shortlist. But I think it's manifestly apparent, and I would argue very strongly, that Judge Valley was not a suitable candidate for the shortlist. And certainly in comparison to the other colleagues that made it to the list, he did not meet the requirements of what what one would expect for, for a justice of the Constitutional Court. To then include him in that list in, in favor of excluding both Dodson and Untalta will therefore raise the question as to whether their, their status as white men were, was what swung the vote against them. And I think when one considers the kind of experience and aptitude that both bring to the, to the bench or could bring to the bench, particularly, you know, Dodson in regard to, to land and Unterhalt in regard to competition law, constitutional law and administrative law. You know, it's becoming more and more pivotal that the JSC needs to explain if its criteria are heavily weighted towards uh, race and gender dynamics. And if that is so, whether it is in fact worth it for white men to apply for this position, given that they will not you know, because of those statuses uh, be considered, you know, or even make it onto the shortlist. I think the important thing here is that ultimately it is the president's discretion to decide who to appoint. But for the JSC to deliberately, you know, after a process of consideration, exclude two, two, two very strong candidates ostensibly on the basis of their race is highly problematic because it prevents the president from from appointing them in a context where the constitutional court currently has no white justices serving on it, um, and that these interviews were in fact um, intended to replace uh, Justice Edward Cameron and um, Judge Froneman, who have both left the constitutional court after you know a career that really contributed much to the court and to its its um, judicial history. Well, thank you so much for your time. That was Karen Morn, specialist legal journalist for News24. We're now joined by Nicole Fritz, the CEO of Freedom Under Law. Nicole, thanks so much for your time. What exactly is the JSC looking for? It's unclear. We They haven't provided any clear criteria. They say that it's in terms of uh, the constitutional requirements, which is that uh, they be, you know, eligible, appropriately qualified and fit and proper. Over the years, there have been um, various attempts to formulate uh, specific criteria, which the JSC will use um, to appoint uh, particular persons. It's not clear that the JSC is working to those criteria at this point. And in fact, there have been attempts uh, to 
to have them articulate what that should be. Um, Freedom Under Law, KSAC and uh, Judges Matter recently uh, published a statement setting out what we believe those criteria should be. And, um, you know, for, for judicial officers appointed to the highest court, uh, these need to be people of unimpeachable integrity professionally and and personally. Uh, they need to be command the respect to their peers. Uh, they need to be persons of great learning, uh, knowledge um, and expertise. They need to have a judicious temperament. They need to show restraint, um, but also exhibit humility. Uh, there needs to be a commitment to transformation. Um, and that obviously um, can, you know, is reflected uh, in race and, and gender demographics. And there is this constitutional imperative that, um, that the bench reflect uh, the broad composition of South Africa in terms of its gender and racial makeup. But we would also argue that uh, that transformation must go beyond, is not exhausted by consideration of demographics, that uh, those appointed need to be able to embody a jurisprudential vision and a lived experience that reflects a commitment to um, justice, uh, to socioeconomic transformation. Uh, so that is is particularly important. Nicole, race and gender remains a very important aspect, obviously, but is the focus on transformation going too far? I don't know that it's going too far. I think I think that one has to have quite a, a quite a robust engagement um, as to what it is that we mean by that. As I've alluded to in in my uh, earlier answer. Obviously, it's important that our our bench um, reflect uh, the composition of South Africa broadly, that that it looked like the people of South Africa. Um, And I think that that's particularly important. I mean, because the the judiciary's respect that it commands, as has been famously said, it has no purse, it it has no sword. It, It holds out its moral authority. It requires people to to afford it legitimacy. Uh, and I think people need, the average person needs to believe that um, judges, uh, you know, sitting there on the on the judicial dais are are not removed, are not unable to relate to, to their experiences, that in dispensing justice um, and and the, the quality of justice, that they have a real ability to to empathize with, to relate to the lived reality of South Africa. And so I think it, it, is, it is vitally important that our bench look like South Africa in all its diversity. Um, I think we've done, we've, and, and, you know, Alan Dodson, who is one of the candidates um, being considered for appointment to the Constitutional Court, remarked during his interviews that the transformation of the bench has been profound. And I think that that is, is correct. Um, and, and you look at the numbers and the figures um, and, and, and it, you know, proves that point. I think we've been less good about ensuring, you know, sort of gender transformation. Um, but I do think that, you know, some of the questioning that we saw from the JSC suggests that it's not grappling with kind of transformation beyond those terms. Like, what does it mean for a, ju- uh, a judicial candidate to, to evidence a, ju- a jurisprudential ethos that is transformative? Um, and we need to be having those discussions. You obviously think that transformation has gone quite far, um, but in terms of gender, would you say that's the case? 
I don't think that that's the case. And this is one of the great sadnesses about this round. You know, this this latest round is obviously a rerun of the interview um, process that happened in April earlier this year. Um, now, in the April round, there were eight candidates um, being considered for uh, eight candidates who were interviewed by the JSC. Of those eight, um, three were, were women. We know that they were fairly sort of egregious um, demonstrations on the part of the JSC that it was not conducting the process in the way that it should. One of the most egregious instances, instances was in respect of um, Judge uh, Daya Pele. And, and she, in fact, has um, not made herself available for consideration this round. So of the seven candidates, only two were women. Um, and, you know, one has narrowed the pool, essentially, of a woman who might be considered for appointment to the highest court, uh, I think, as a result of, of the conduct of the JSC um, last time round. And it is, I think, a very stark um, underlining that when constitutional bodies such as the JSC fail to perform their functions, fail to discharge their functions properly, uh, the harm cannot necessarily be repaired, even if that process is rerun. Well, thank you so much for your time. That was Nicole Fritz, the CEO from Freedom Under Law. That's all we have for you this week. I'm Catherine Rice, and this week's episode was produced with the help of Al Colstock.